we're in this series, it's, it's a pre-Advent series. And our goal is to give us sort of a hope tune-up before you get into the, the deal of Christmas and all the things that are going to happen with Christmas. And it's, it's happening quicker this year for, a, I don't know, it's just a calendar thing, I guess. We are two weeks away from Advent starting. Isn't that crazy? Now, I mean, I woke up Saturday morning, I thought, it feels like Christmas. I mean, it was cold. We've already had a little snow. Maybe we're getting some more. I'm sure we will. They're calling for a lot this winter. Christmas will feel great, be amazing, but it seems like it's happening quickly. And so what's going to happen is, is you're going to get into the Advent season and you'll be prepping for Christmas and going here and going there and doing lots of things, but you, if you aren't careful, it'll be over before you know it, and there's a, a thing that happens with the church calendar that gives you an opportunity to ponder and reflect and consider the things that God is up to, because the things that he has done mirror what he will do. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for you to lean into what we know what he's done historically means that you get to look forward then to figure out kind of how God is at work. And that's all we want to do at Castle Oaks with our people. We just want to observe where God is doing his thing and then lend our efforts toward it. Whether that effort is time or energy or money, whatever it is, we just want to participate in that. And Jesus helps us understand that. The series is called The Scroll, and it's based on the Isaiah scroll that was handed to Jesus as his ministry began. He goes to his hometown in Nazareth. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah to read in front of his friends and family, the people he grew up with, and he read these words. Let's say them all together as we have been in the habit of doing. Are you ready? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then Jesus will say, and we'll show it in just a minute, that this has been fulfilled in your hearing. But the question we asked last week, and that we want to ask every week in this series is, is this really true? And if it's not true, we have bigger problems. But if it is true, in what ways is it true? Is this possible that God is doing these things and we're maybe blind to it or unaware of it? That God is inviting you to participate not just to help other people who are captive, but maybe some of you are captive. Maybe you're captive by all kinds of things. Maybe you find yourself poor in a way that the good news addresses, or maybe you're blind to something that God is doing, and you just haven't seen it at all, and Jesus calls himself the great physician. So he comes along, and he wants you to see. What is it that he wants you to see? Maybe another way to ask it is, what have you been missing that God wants you to participate in or become aware of. And if this is true, and Jesus did say, in this moment in the synagogue in Nazareth, he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What does he mean by fulfilled? I mean, I, we know what that word means, and it really is very close to the original Greek in our English understanding of it as well. It means that this is happening. It is is in the process of happening, and it's true today. It's an audacious claim that Jesus makes because I imagine some of you could say, well, I I don't know. I, I know some captives who haven't been released. I know some blind people who still don't see. I know many who were oppressed, and they have not been set free. And so you and I ought to have tremendous tension 
in our faith, and some have you know, deconstructed or walked away from it because of this tension, but we lean into it because we trust that God's at work, and we believe that what needs to change is what's happening in my heart or maybe how I spend my time or where I lend my effort. Because if this is true, in what ways is it true, and how is it seen in what I do and how I operate today. So that is where we're moving through this series. And when Jesus says this, of course, as we said, it's a it's an audacious statement. All the prophets wrote about it. This is the words that we just read were Isaiah's words, some 700 years before Jesus read them in a synagogue. Now, this, of course, is an incredible, beautiful moment in Jesus's hometown. He comes home. He's been out doing some ministry, but he's really just getting started. It's at the beginning of his ministry. And as he does that, he comes home and everybody's, you know, it's, it's like a hometown boy. I don't know if you, in your hometown, if you had a hometown hero, you know, it could have been a military or an athlete or somebody that went off and accomplished something. When they come home, they throw a parade or whatever it is that they do. But there's something that happens. Jesus is doing that. In fact, Luke records this. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. In other words, we like our hometown boy. We like him. Little Jesus, do you remember little, little Jesus or Jesus or whatever, you know? We remember him when he was little. We remember when he was just toddling around his dad's workshop and doing his thing. And now he's grown up and he's a rabbi. Just look at him. They want to pat him on the head and say, good job, Jesus. And This is about as quaint as the moment gets because it's about to take a turn. And when it does... It's a, uh, it's a significant turn. It's a violent turn. Luke wants you to know that nobody had anything bad up to this point to say about Jesus. They liked him, and they liked what he was up to, and they liked what he was doing and saying. And then Jesus, after he records this, after he says this in the synagogue, he can hear some of their murmuring, and it says this, how can this be, they asked. What did they ask? What's the question? So they're wondering. They're wondering. They're saying, is this scripture fulfilled in, in our hearing? That's what he said. It's fulfilled. And while we like Jesus, we know who he is. We saw him grow up. We're also asking this question, how can this be? Now, that's the only question that Luke records that was asked. But I know that there were more because it's a group of people and, you know, they're at church and they do some talking. And when this happens at a church, they say things like, well, I, I, I mean, we, we saw him growing up. He's a little squirt. Now he's fulfilling scripture from the prophets, 700 years old. How can this be? How is this possible? We, we saw him, you know, I mean, stuff he made in the shop, it wasn't perfect, you know, he had some things to learn. He didn't understand how to use this tool or that tool. We saw him as a young child. How can this be? And the simple implication by this statement is, we know Joseph is a regular guy. I'm not sure if we're ready to put all of our chips in the middle of the table to say Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, we've heard what happened in some of the other cities. We've heard of the stories, people being healed and the things that he taught. But that is an audacious claim. And it's one that we're not ready to invest ourselves into. Now, what happens next? It's difficult for us from words on a page or a screen in this case to grasp the shift in tension and emotion 
but you can get a little bit of a feel if you emotionally use your little imaginator and put yourself in the place of Jesus and these people, their hopes and fears and their dreams, and Jesus and what he is claiming is happening. And so Jesus then says to all of them, he says this, then he said, you will undoubtedly quote to me this proverb. What's the proverb? Say it with me. Physician, heal yourself. It was a famous proverb, not just of that day, but of course it survived into this day. Physician, heal yourself. And what does that mean? Something for you to ponder, something you're to consider. I'll give you my take on it. But Jesus says, look, I, I know you don't believe that what I said is true. And I know you don't believe that I am who I said I was. And that Isaiah's prophecies are fulfilled in me coming. I can tell you, you seem skeptical. You got casting some you know, wary eyes my way. And so you're not sure that you want to put any weight down on that idea. Because that would mean, that would mean that the captives are free. And we're not really captive, we're just hanging out. And that would mean that good news would come to the poor. And we're not that poor. I know some people that are poor. And that would mean that the blind would see, and I'm not very blind, I mean, I see a lot, I see a lot. This is their perspective. And Jesus says, no, no doubt, no doubt, you will quote to me this proverb, this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Now, Jesus has been called the great physician. And when he was called the great physician, by us, not in scripture, it's because he's around some sick people and some uh, oh, unseemly people and some people accused him of hanging out with sinners and, well, one translation says the scum of the earth. And when Jesus is hanging around these people, the Pharisees rose up and said, why do you hang around people like this? And we talked about clean and unclean. You'll have to kind of pull a few ideas together to remember all of that. But then Jesus says, something very powerful. He says, I have not come to heal the healthy, but the what? But the sick. In other words, if you think you're healthy, then you're gonna find me ineffective. If you think there's not a need in your life, I am gonna be of little use to you. And with this perspective in mind, it's at least a good moment to stop and say, Lord, what is it I think about myself? Not, not that I'm sick and awful, not, not of that, but do I have a need? Am I aware of it? Is there a way that I might be captive? Is there a way that I might be blind or oppressed or poor? And if so, then that puts me in a place of need. And that place of need would mean that I'm open to what Jesus has to say and I'm open to what Jesus wants to do. But if I'm good, then me and Jesus will probably cross paths and I might not even be aware of it. And so why would these people of Nazareth quote to Jesus this proverb? Why would they say to Jesus, physician, heal yourself? Well, what's a physician do? Well, he looks at you, does a little diagnosing, does some recommending, maybe some prescribing, this is what the physician does. But some people would like to say to the physician, hey, look, I'm glad you're here, but if you would, please attend to your own faults. I got mine, I'll, I'll take care of mine. I'm good. In other words, this is the posture we adopt when we feel defensive. 
when we feel less than. When someone hints that the problem might be me. This is the posture we adopt. Physician, heal yourself. I know, I know, I made the appointment and I came to see you, but I really didn't like it where the conversation went. What I wanted was a clean bill of health from you. And what I got was this sense that I might have a need and you might know how to meet it. And that's a tough spot for us because it requires all kinds of things, chiefly humility. Humility means that I don't have all the answers, that I might have something wrong, there may be some defect I need to address. Humility means that I have to place myself in the position of learner or listener or receiver. How many of you have a hard time receiving? Somebody gives you a compliment and you shrug it off. Who does that? Let me see your hands. There you go. Or somebody wants to give you a gift and you, don't, you, you want to give something back. How many of you have a stack of stuff somewhere in your house just for that occasion? Somebody gives you a gift and you're like, I got to go get something out of my junk closet and give them that so that we are on equal footing out of your junk closet. Physician, heal yourself. Attend to your own faults. We're good. This is what the people of Nazareth are saying when they say, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? He's not the Messiah. No way. That can't be the case. And then Jesus says this. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own, what? And so look, when it comes to to catching a glimpse of God's favor, when it comes to spiritual sensitivity, when it comes to walking into a workplace or or a family setting, or any place, and having an understanding of who God is and what he's up to and how his work is being played out, there is no home field advantage. Zero. Uh, This is one of the things that concerns me when people talk about uh, various nations throughout history, uh, it doesn't matter what nation, uh, being the one that has received God's favor There is no home field advantage. In fact, according to what Jesus says and what happens in Nazareth, almost the opposite is true. Uh, The way we say this in relational world or in an understanding of what this means in terms of the opposite being true, we say it this way. Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. Isn't that a strong word? Familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, If it is something that I'm very familiar with, very accustomed to, then I probably have dulled my senses to how God is at work. Familiarity clouds your vision. Familiarity puts you to sleep. And they didn't catch the meaning. They didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said this. I mean, it's just the beginning of his ministry. And so Jesus gives them two examples of what he's saying. So if you think Jesus is being a little proverby or a little parable-y or being a little unclear, he's going to give you historical evidence for what he's saying. And this is what he says in the synagogue in front of his hometown crowd. He says this, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time 
when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to what? None of them, not, not one. He was sent instead to a what? A widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. You can read this story in the Old Testament. Jesus is going to paint him into a corner. He's about to make a point. And his point is piercing. For those of us who have great familiarity to God, Scripture, Christian heritage, or his ways. And that's the first story. And then he says this. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was who? Naaman. And he was what? Not, not a Jewish man. Uh, an outsider. Of course many had leprosy. And there was one that was healed. I don't know how many of you have a, a long Christian heritage or tradition. How many of you just can't remember the first time you went to church because you were too little? You haven't even come online yet with your brain. How many of you were that way? Let me see your hands. Come on. You, your heritage is deep. There is, there is nothing that can, that can be overstated regarding the depth of roots that somebody who grew up in the Christian tradition has. And those roots are important. They're, it's a big deal. You have a leg up that many people don't have. You have an understanding and a foundation that so many people would long for because understanding scripture, understanding who God is, understanding his ways, those are almost second nature to you. It's just like breathing. And you were at the church before you even knew what a church was. But there appears to be an understanding of familiarity, breeding contempt, all throughout the Gospels. And so those who had a very difficult time understanding what God was up to were so familiar with what they thought were God's ways that they misunderstood the very mission of Jesus and in fact had him crucified. They misunderstood completely. This is the way Jesus said it. Here's what you've done. You have strained out a gnat and you have swallowed a camel. You have completely missed the point. And if your roots go decades deep in faith, I would think that one of your daily prayers would be, Lord, help me see the gnat, help me see the camel, and know the difference between the two. Help me to never miss the point of what you're up to. Help me to never miss the big picture because I'm so deeply entrenched in the, the church language, the inside baseball perspective of what it means to follow Jesus because I've probably missed it. Those of you who came to faith late in this room or online, and I don't know what late is, you, you, this would be your perspective of what late was. Later in life, you fill in the, the dates or the times that matter the most. Those of you who came to faith late, you may see some of your fellow followers of Jesus and miss out on the foundation or the understanding of scripture or maybe having these things memorized or understanding how the whole story got put together. But what you do have in spades is a fresh perspective. And you're the person in the Bible study or the room or the meeting or the whatever time together with other believers. And you say, I don't think that's what it means. And you're right. It doesn't. I don't think God would say it that way if he really meant this. And you're probably right. Massive advantage for those of us who have deep roots, but even deeper and fresher advantage for those of us who have 
oh, more recent roots. And when Jesus tells this story, he's saying, I want you to pay attention to the Old Testament and understand what God was up to. And I'll tell you two stories. There was a widow and she was an outsider and Elijah was sent to her. And there was a ruler, his name was Naaman. He, He was in the military, he was a Syrian and he was the one that God healed of leprosy. And he says this to a probably exclusively Jewish audience of people who knew him when he was swaddled and when he says it, the reaction, well, what is he saying to them? He's saying, you know, God would love to do some things here, but he really can't. And the reason he can't is because you guys, well, you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so when Jesus says this, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were, Jesus just cut to the chase. He said, you know, you're probably quoting me, physician, heal thyself. And they're like, oh, he knew what I was thinking. I was about to say that. And then he goes on to tell these stories in the Old Testament. And he's saying to them, I am right here in your midst. I have just proclaimed what is true from the prophet Isaiah 700 years before. It's fulfilled today and you have completely missed it. Have you ever done that? If you can't think of one time, then that's a tough day because it's happened to me, it's happened to you. It's what we don't know that puts us in a place of hardness of heart and a lack of discernment. So they were furious. Here's what they did to their hometown boy. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. They jumped up, mobbed him, forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, and they intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd, and he went on his way. They were so mad that they were incited to violence, and their intent was to injure, maim, or kill him. All because he said... I think you're a bit hard-hearted, and if you were more open, you would see God active in your midst. That's what he said. Now, I cannot read this story about Jesus in the synagogue and what happened, and then his subsequent illustrative examples of history. They aren't parables, it's history. The widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian, without thinking about our refugee ministry, and what it has done in the life of our church and what it continues to do in the metro area. Our refugee ministry is powerful. We're gonna give you a glimpse of it. Would you do me a favor and welcome Christy Fuller up here to the stage. So our ministry is is, uh, in connection with and partnered with Lutheran Family Services. And Christy and the whole team. In fact, we have some members of the team here today. If you're a part of the refugee ministry team, would you stand up right where you are? I know you don't want to, but you're gonna. I mean, I'm just gonna wait. Yep, very good, very good. Grateful for you, grateful for each of you. Christy helps lead this team. And so tell me, you can have a seat now. Tell me a little bit about this team and what they do. Um, So this time around was a little bit different than the past. Um, They had some immediate needs, Afghanistan families that were coming in very, very quickly. 
And so this was a little bit different. There was a little bit more of a commitment from us um, and some needs that they needed quickly. So we, um, one of the responsibilities was to get them here. They um, get them housing <laughs> and jobs, kids in school. Um, and everything that kind of goes around with that. So um, it was a much longer commitment. I think usually it's a six months. This was a year, a year commitment, as well as just um, a commitment uh, financially to help them out a little bit more. So Lutheran family didn't have the funds. They came quickly and needed help with us and other you know, organizations to help with this matter. So Lutheran Family Services works with families that have been relocated to the Denver metro area from international places. They often find themselves here because of a variety of reasons. Uh, uh, so the family that you're referring to, Saeed and Carla and the kids, you'll see them here, Saeed and Carla up there, and of course the kids. Um, tell me, just get, you know, for those who weren't here last year, how did they end up here? And uh, a little bit about the story. Yep. So um, it's Saeed, Ruxar, um, Oria, or, uh, I'm Hasna. What am I? Who am I forgetting? Yersra. So, um, mother, father, three girls. Um, they. Said was a pilot in Afghanistan. He was one of the pilots um, that was flying Americans out. Um, so he was on one of the light, late, you know, one of the flights few days out, trying to get as many Americans out of the country. Yeah. Uh, when he came back in, um, he knew that he would probably not be safe. The Taliban would be after him and his family. Um, and so, a uh, amazing Marine, uh, he stopped. He talked to him, and he said, "Okay, I'll help you and your family." you know, go home, I'll take you home, get them, get your stuff, come back here, and we'll try to get you out. And so a Marine was able to help him do that, um, get him in and, and get, the, get the whole family out. So. And so you see the kids up there. That's a picture of Saeed and local businesswoman, Carla, who, uh, virtue of uh, a happenstance conversation, you know, happenstance, if you believe in that, um, during a haircut, uh, one of the team members, Brian Speed, um, connected Carla with Saeed and they received a vehicle uh, to use and drive and, and help get the kids around, right? Yeah. And so working with a family like this presents a few challenges. Um, what the training that Lutheran helps you go through, tell us just a little bit about that. Um, so again, because Lutheran family was not ready for this in, influx of, fam, of, of people, uh, it was online, it was COVID, we were still dealing with a little bit of COVID, so they did, you know, very quickly did some online training for us. Um, it basically just talks about what you, what you, what you can and can't do, what, what you, you know, what our responsibilities are, what their responsibilities are, and so just helps us be prepared for what this might look like and all of the different things that we have in front of us. So your commitment has been for a year. Yep. Um, a couple updates regarding the family. This is Saeed at his graduation for his pilot training. Right. And so now he is... Yeah, so Saeed came in. He was able to get in fairly quickly um, because he did get his pilot training in the U.S., um, and so, but he had to start over. Um, so none of the flying, none of the hours that he had put in um, count for anything here. So he basically started over. 
but he was able to get a job. Um, it's a good time to be a pilot. <laughs> so um, he was able to get a job very quickly, get his training done, which is just huge uh, for him, knowing, although he is starting over, and he, I mean, he has a future here in the United States. So yes, this was a big deal for him to uh, complete his training, and uh, he's now based out of Denver and starts flighting this next month. So That's one update. Another yep. bit of an update. Uh, um, this is Saeed's wife here in the middle, correct? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how do you say her name? Roxar. Roxar? Yeah, we all probably say it a little different. And so what, what, is, what is this occasion? You can see some of our, our yeah. members there. What's this occasion yeah, for Roxar? Yeah, so this was, this was great. Uh, the Nicholases opened up their home. We were able to do a baby shower for her um, and her family. So that was an amazing, uh, you know, day to be a part of that. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple things that stick out with this family. Um, one is the three girls, you know, they, they never would have had opportunity for education in their country to be alongside that situation. Um, there was another, Tammy Brown, and as she goes here, there's another, not just Brian's story, which is amazing, and if you haven't heard it, it's totally worth, worth listening to. Um, you know, he was getting his hair cut, and there was a huge need. I happened to be coming home from their house, and then they, Brian called me as I'm driving home praying, knowing his family needs a car, and this just happened at, the, like, that same moment. So it was a totally God thing. Every single time with this family, every single need that we had, there was somebody in this church, or somebody knew somebody, um, the girls were able to go to preschool. Tammy Brown knew that the Kim Thompson worked in the area, was able to get them into her preschool, uh, had huge connections with the PTO at the elementary school they were going to. So just amazing doors open, you know, for this family. And then you know, just knowing that they never, these three little girls would never have opportunities to have an education, have anything like they are now. It's just pretty amazing to be a part of that. That's incredible. Yeah. And so number four on the way. Number four, and it's a boy. It's a boy. <laughs> so. When does she do? When does she do? Uh, January fifth. January fifth, yeah. and so the shower. So our, our time with Saeed and his family have is pretty well concluded. Yeah, it's offici officially it's over. Yes. And so, what were the types of things that the various team members yeah. did throughout the year to engage with this family? What, yeah. what did their time and energy look like? Sure. So um, the big thing initially is getting their apartment furnished which was huge. And I think there's so many people that we have to thank for bringing, uh, you know, beds and everything that they had. So we were, we were able, from Castle Oaks, to fully furnish that apartment. Um, and, you know, put beds together. Tom Miller, I mean, there's so many people, Tom Miller, Kathy Bain, like just so many people that had a part of that, um, making that uh, happen, getting that fully furnished apartment was the big thing initially. Um, and then getting them, the girls in school was the other thing. So getting the girls, uh, uh, getting them their vaccinations, getting all of the medical things done that they needed. Um, most of the time the refugees come in, they, they have teeth problems and they're just, they just don't have the things that we do. Vaccinations, a big one. So that took a while getting them in school, getting them in preschool, um, was the other piece of that. So all of those things and multiple people involved in that. Then we realized soon, once we got them in school, very excited about preschool, elementary school, we realized the school's a mile and a half from where they live and there's no transportation. 
We're like, oh, this is going to be a bit of a problem. So, uh, you know, so many people were driving from Castle Rock to take them to school, and we realized this is not going to work for long. So lots of people were able to, um, you know, we were able to make some connections with the preschool and the elementary school to make that happen. But again, we realized they really needed a car. That's when Brian was getting his hair cut and, and, you know, happened to have a conversation about the family that this was their need. And uh, Carla, amazing businesswoman, if anybody needs a haircut, Carla's Barbershop, downtown Kaltzrock, um, was able to, to get this car for him. So it was just a huge, huge answer to prayer. So. And so uh, the team did a variety of these things. They're yes. running errands. Yes. They're they're securing other yeah. goods and services and needs, helping Costco them find runs. their way. There you uh. go. Costco <laughs> runs. Very good. And so as all this happens, I don't know if you can imagine being displaced into a country that you're unfamiliar with the culture, unfamiliar with how things work. But if you can imagine that, our team does the heavy lifting of helping them not only get these needs met, but also give them names and faces of people they could call or text or meet with or a variety of things community that happens in various homes so what I want to know from you and I know probably each team member could give me a different answer I know you're busy you got your own family all kinds of things happening in your life why do you do this Uh, yeah Uh, so for for me um, I feel like you know uh, for whatever reason I started out to be a nurse, that didn't work. I ended up in the bathroom crying because I wanted to stay with each patient. God had this crazy funny thing that I needed to be in corporate world and so that's where I am. And I, but it doesn't feel like I'm giving back a lot. So for me, God has really showed me that when he has a need um, and if I can say yes and the more I can say yes and be a part of things like this, uh, the more I feel fulfilled and so uh, this is, I think, my fourth family. Um, it's just been a great experience for my faith, knowing that when there is something really great and big, like how are we going to drive to Castrock every to Timber every single day and take these girls to school? How are we going to get them a car? God shows up in big, big ways, and um, that's such an amazing thing. Um, being able to sit down at a dinner with somebody that you might even not, we don't even, we don't even have the same gods that we believe in, no same religion, but at the end of the day, there's just so much that we have in common, and our needs are all the same, and community is so important, and just getting to know people, um, how my kids, kids being a part of that, letting them see that different cultures, different foods, uh, different languages, different people, but we're all really basically the same. That's so good. So we're putting together another team, right? We are. And so if you would like to be involved in that, we would love to have you connected to it. And if you're a part of our online audience and, and either from a distance or here locally, we'll find ways for you to connect and be involved as well. We would love for you to be a part of that as well. So do they just come chat with you? Can they do that? Get some sure. Info? I think Scott's going to be involved this time too, yep. which is exciting. So yeah. Scott yeah, Bear. Absolutely. Scott Bear. Yep. yep. Yeah. And, you, and I'm sure any of the people, I mean, the Noclises have done this for a very long time. Kathy Bain's done this for a very long time, had multiple families. So I'm sure they can answer questions too. Anybody that was on the team could answer questions. But And there were many of you that weren't even part of this that donated furniture and lots of other things. It really takes all of us together yeah. to be able to do this. That's incredible. 
So we'll contact with you. Uh, team members are here. You saw, if you saw them stand near you, you can ask them questions. Drop an email to info and we'll get you connected. Would you do me a favor and thank Christy and the whole team? Would you? Thank you. The story has God all through it, whether it was uh, the beginnings of that story where the military individual left the plane that he was flying out on to help rescue Saeed's family, Rakshar and the kids, uh, all kinds of ways that we saw God's fingerprints. And when you get a chance to be a part of something like that, when you have some understanding of how God is actually doing things like releasing captives and helping the blind, to see, in this case, probably the statement that envelops what occurred with this family more than anything else is the oppressed will be set free. The opportunities to understand, to learn, to have a life. Now this child born a naturalized U.S. citizen, part of their family. It's incredible. And the things that each of our families who are connected to this team learned about another culture what it means to want and need. All of these things are true. And so the question that I hope that you're wrestling with as you're trying to be sure, sort of do a hope tune-up like we've said, putting your hope in the right place, helping you focus on what matters most, knowing this, that whether it's the military PTSD ministry that we taught, you know, remount that we talked about last week or this, what we'll hit on next week and the week after through this whole series, knowing that what Jesus said is true. And it's not just true in pockets. In fact, it can be happening right in front of you and you might miss it if you don't see with eyes to see. If you don't know that God is doing all of these things all the time. And not only is he doing it for the people that we maybe reach out to, love, or provide for, he wants to do it for you too. For some of you, that means that you understand what you're captive to and know that God wants to release you. Or you know what you're blind to and you really want to see. Or you're aware that maybe your religious heritage keeps you stuck in a place where you are unaware of what God is up to and you want to step into a new place. It would have been incredible, absolutely amazing, if when Jesus read this out of Isaiah, if the people of Nazareth had said, oh my goodness, we're, we're kind of poor. I'm so glad. This is incredible. I can't believe he's uh, telling us this is being fulfilled now. We're, we're oppressed in these ways. We're captive by these things. But they didn't. They didn't at all. And so in humility, we come before God and say, we want you to do something unique and new, not just through us, powerful, incredible, but also in us that the world around us is broken, but God is doing new things every day. May he start in me. Let me guide you through a prayer. Lord, this scripture is powerful and it falls on fresh ears today because even those of us that have read it a thousand times or have been around church all of our lives, we're desperate for a new picture of how you're at work because we're a little tired We're a little battle-worn. Our vision is a little dim. Our hearts might be a tad bit hardened. And so we pray that you would make us soft and we would be ready to receive. 
Lord, we, we do believe that the world is a broken place. It takes uh, a mere glance at what's around us to become convinced of that. We also believe that you are making all things new. We also believe that you are redeeming all things. And so, Lord, forgive us uh, when we give in to despair or when our hope begins to wane or when we focus on our small little world so tightly, so strongly that we miss what you are up to. And so, Lord, would you this morning show us ways in which we are blind, ways in which we are captive, ways in which we are oppressed. And may we know first that this scripture was written of course, to all who fall into these categories, but it was written to us. It was written to me. And Lord, as I experience that freedom, would you give me the courage to give it thoughtfully to the people around me through time, attention, seeing them, knowing them. Lord, as you heal my blindness, help me to see the needs around me and may my heart be broken in half. May you shake me out of my comfortable place and allow me to see your hand at work. And may my hands become your hands. May you do something through me this week that will help a captive be freed or a blind person see ease the oppression of someone that could experience maybe something as simple as a conversation but maybe something life changing like a new place to live Lord what will you do through each of us this week we, uh, we anticipate it we long for it bring it about help us to see your hand at work in it and we declare right now as a church that you are worthy of all of this